Marini's Media. Yes, hello. You are listening to the Totally Football League show Extra Time in association with Paddy Power. I am Ali Maxwell. On the line with me, dutiful as ever, George Ellick is going to tell you what we've got in store this week. Yeah, we love talking to managers in the EFL and today we are joined by one in Ryan Lowe who we think is destined for the very top. He's currently manager of Plymouth Argyle who are having their first season back in League One. So we speak to him about the start to their season and also about what's going on off the pitch at the moment as well with Ryan Lowe, of course, a very legend as a player and a manager. So he has first-hand experience of what it means when a community loses a football club. We also speak to Ryan Conway, the Athletics Derby County writer, on his interview with Philippe Koku that has been up on the site this week. And finally, as ever, Ali and I will go through our best games, our favourite games for this weekend of this weekend slate from both the Championship League One and League Two with odds from our sponsors, Paddy Power. This is the Totally Football League show, Extra Time, in association with Paddy Power. So, George, this week on the show, it's a case of the the two Ryans, Lowe and Conway, both fine men, one uh, a football manager that we admire a lot and another a brilliant football writer as well. And I, I, I kind of feel like when we were planning the show this week with producer AD as well, it, it felt like... We're in a similar position to last week where there are still a lot of key conversations and a quite a severe situation surrounding the EFL, a dark cloud, if you will, that, that can't be ignored and needs to be talked about, but also trying to remember that there is football going on and as ever, there are tons of interesting football stories as well. So again, we're, we're trying to find the balance, aren't we, at the moment between those two imposters. Which is difficult because, you know, we it's our job and it's important. Whilst there's football going on, and we have to be have to be thankful that there is football going on. It's there to be covered and it's there to be enjoyed. But the elephant in the room and something that we have to keep talking about is that we do not know how long for because so long as the fans are not allowed back into stadiums, so long as clubs are losing an incredible amount of their revenue stream by not having that match day income then we are getting closer and closer to hearing of clubs being unable to pay their staff, of having to let staff go. And even this week, we are hearing rumours that some clubs are effectively planning, if there is no relief, if there's no help soon, are planning to make non-essential staff redundant, are planning to basically have to cease playing football. And this isn't something that could be happening in a couple of months by next year. This is something that is a very, very immediate threat So to hear also reports that the Premier League clubs are not willing to consider the £250 million bailout that EFL chief Rick Parry says the clubs need means we're in a difficult position now. Uh, And it's great to be able to call upon Ryan, um, Ryan Lowe that is, who has first-hand experience of, of, of his time with Berry. He's also somebody who knows a lot of people in the in, in, in football who are all talking about the situation and, and coming up with ideas as ways to save our clubs and save our EFL because it is getting that severe. Yeah, he's someone with such a wealth of experience within the game, uh, certainly, uh, especially when it comes to the third and fourth tiers of English football as a player. Uh, a brilliant striker, of course, he was, and, and now a, a really exciting manager whose teams play very exciting football. I mean, the Premier League met this week week and they seemed very preoccupied with talking about handballs and penalty decisions uh, and at this stage at least less occupied with uh, with 
taking a vote on potential bailout or potential uh, well help for lower league clubs. So hopefully this won't be strung out too much longer because as you say, and as we know, having spoken to Matt Slater last week, the situation is perilous. We're going to get into some of that now with Ryan Lowe. We're going to get into some football with himself, with Ryan Conway talking about Philip Koku. We hope you enjoy this week's podcast. We'll be previewing our favourite, our most, uh, our best games of the weekend at the very end of the show with the help of our sponsors, Paddy Power. But let's start with a chat with Ryan Lowe, Plymouth Argyle manager. On Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Smart Speaker and now ad-free on The Athletic. This is the Totally Football League show with Ali Maxwell and George Ellick. A real treat to be joined by Ryan Lowe, the Plymouth Argyle manager. Ryan, we've got a, a few things we'd like to touch on with you, starting with Argyle's start to the season, back in League One following promotion from League Two last season. And you've experienced a few different results and types of match already, but you haven't tasted yeah. defeat yet. Uh, a 1-0 win against Blackpool, a, a, a game full of anarchy, a 4-all draw against Wimbledon that was yeah. just utter carnage and then one all uh, with Shrewsbury last weekend. Uh, how do you reflect on your start to the season back at this level with Argyle? Yeah, do you know what, lads? It's, it's, been, a, it's been good. Uh, you know, it's exciting, as you've seen there. You know, we come up against the good Blackpool team. We were very dominant in possession, and which, which it's normally us, and they had a few good chances, and we had to be brave and put bodies on the line but also we worked some great openings to score goals also and it was a very end-to-end game you have it we have it they attack we attack and yeah obviously come away with with the three points which was which was massive for us our first game back in league one and then to go away to Wimbledon 4-4 very exciting game end-to-end again silly mistakes on our behalf for the goals conceded but four great goals and then Saturday the last one was Shrewsbury was a good entertaining game you know we we they took the lead early on and we got back and we had a few great chances. So all in all, really pleased with, with the points we've got on the board, being the new boys back in the league. But ultimately a little bit disappointed because we feel we could be sitting here with potentially nine points, certainly seven. So, yeah, it's been a good start. Uh, we come up against the good test in Hull on Saturday, which is going to be a big test for us because, you know, coming down from the championship and, and not conceding a goal and being top of the league. So... Yeah, good. it's been interesting, but very enjoyable. You mentioned that Hull have come down from the Championship, and normally we see that clubs coming down from that level into League One do pretty well because the gap is so big between the leagues. But between League Two and League One, normally teams coming up do do pretty well because the, the gap doesn't seem quite so big. Uh, having managed in League Two for the last couple of seasons with Berry, and now and then with Plymouth last season, how are you finding that step up in quality between the two? I managed a few games in League One as when I was a caretaker at Berry. We know what's expected in this league. We know, you know, ultimately if you make too many errors, you get punished for it. So you've got to cut them out in League Two. With all due respect, you you could get away with some mistakes. Uh, but as I say, you know, the, the league's a lot better. Uh, there's a lot more. Well, not that there's many fans going to be in around soon, but there's you know there's some great stadiums, some great football clubs, and and the pitches are a lot better. But ultimately, I think there's a lot of teams that play a lot of football and play the right way in League One, and it's something that we feel will, will benefit us. Ryan, as you mentioned, there still no fans uh, in the grounds, and you didn't have to play sort of in that interim period post lockdown and uh, and pre this season. So you've just experienced the three league games so far like this. Uh, how does it affect? your job uh, as the manager uh, any differently trying to motivate players uh, how how do you think it's affecting them not playing in front of well firstly our guiles 
home faithful, but also away from home against an intimidating home crowd? Yeah, well, firstly, at, at home, we, we certainly miss the fans. The fans here are awesome. They're, they're excellent. They get behind the boys through tick and thin and... You know, they were excellent for his last season. Uh, and again, you know, someone said to me on Saturday against Shrewsbury that if the fans would have been here, we'd have, we'd have won because they'd have got behind us. Ultimately, in saying that, you know, when we played that Loftus Road against FC Wimbledon, they possibly could have turned it round for them. But I, I would have liked to have thought fans could get behind us. We'd have filled their end. Uh, it's not nice with, with, with them not in. I think, you know, I, I don't enjoy it. Uh, there's no buzz about it. Uh, but ultimately what we have to do is we have to remain professional and make sure that as you just said we get the lads right up for the games we do all the planning still goes ahead to win games of football uh, the lads have sort of bought into that look there's going to be no fans you know it doesn't matter there's still points to be won and bonuses to be won so the lads have been different class in that sense but for me sometimes I need a little bit of a roar I need a little bit of a come on you know so and I think the lads are the same just don't show it to me which, which is good and important that they don't because I don't want them to feel that you know it's, it's, it's not good without them they're getting on with the job superbly well and, and long may that continue As we sit here um, kind of looking at off-field issues that there are plenty of clubs in the EFL whose very existence is, is under threat really unless some kind of a relief package is found given the, the, the lack of fans as you just mentioned I mean you've seen firsthand with Berry what a club going out of business can do to a community, can do to local people. And what are your feelings on the current situation? And you know, what would be your message to whether it's the government or the Premier League chiefs? How severe this situation could be if clubs start going out of business? Yeah, well, first and foremost, I don't want to see, you know, I lost a, a club that was very close to my heart in Berry, and you know, I think you know, Macclesfield's just gone now, which is a local Northwest club, and. You know, yeah, for financial reasons, different, I think, in them two clubs. But I wouldn't like to see a club go um, because they just ran out of cash because it's hard enough as it is, you know, these people who are putting, these businessmen who are putting money in left, right and centre and not getting nothing back. It's 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 cruel. What can the big boys do? You know, people say, you know, Chelsea and Man City are spending a lot of money and Liverpool to that extent. But is it really their prerogative to look after lower league football clubs at, at, at the moment? I don't think it is. Would, if someone went in and asked, could they lend some money off them and he had it, would they give it? Of course. Um, but I think, you know, they're feeling the effects as well. They've got bigger wage bills than us. I think ultimately, I think obviously, you know, there's for, for the stuff that's going on in terms of the wages, the money that comes down and TV rights and everything else, there's only so much money that can be shared around, isn't it? I haven't really got a a strong opinion on whether they should or they shouldn't. You know, listen, ultimately, if the government allow a certain select fans in and all the protocols are right, then that's where you make your money. Um, do I think the government can do that? Yes, yeah, certainly. You know, sometimes with the government, they say one good thing and then ten bad things and then two good things and six bad things. So it, it just doesn't work really where it's at. But I think ultimately, I think, you know, the safest place for us is in our football club, in our football ground. Uh, and I'd feel comfortable if it was Liverpool going to watch Liverpool I'd feel comfortable and safe going into Anfield knowing that the protocols are right so I think um, the Football League have got a task on their hands of working with the government in terms of letting that happen pretty soon otherwise as you've just said there's going to be a lot of football clubs that go out of business uh, and Ryan you had a very long playing career in the EFL you're now a manager in the EFL you're a Liverpool fan as you mentioned there I guess from uh, one of the interesting parts of this discussion when it when it's uh, relevant to the Premier League is although that's at the top of the pyramid and we know the amount of money that flows through that division uh, its own revenue is is 
is what happens to young players if the clubs in League One and League Two go to the wall or if there's a, if there's a, a huge issue with the pyramid itself? Um, you've obviously lived your whole life within the football pyramid. How important do you think, let's say, the third and fourth tiers are to the top tier, to the second tier as well, in, in order to maintain this sort of great footballing structure that we have? The pyramid needs to stay. You know, I think if it's the right sort of answer, I'm giving you here. I think if you looked up and down, just let's say 72 football clubs from championship right the way down or even take the championship out um, in League One and League Two, there's a lot of good potential in youngsters. Now, whether the Premier League recruitment's good enough for that, so 20 Premier League clubs and just, let's say, 45 or 46, 47 uh, League One, League Two clubs, then surely in there, definitely there's got to be 20 youngsters who are certainly good enough where the Premier League can go, I'll tell you what we're going to do. We're going to take this player off you and we're going to give you a million pounds or £500,000 for him. We'll leave him with you on loan, but we're going to sign him because we feel he can be developed. That could certainly help the football clubs out as well. You know, we've got great potential in some of our youngsters. We've got, you know, it's not, I'm not saying that they're for sale by any stretch of imagination, but we have Mike Cooper, Luke Jepcott, young lad Adam Randall. We've, we've got potential potentially a lot of young kids who could be sold for a lot of money at our football club so if the recruitment was right at the Premier League levels you know to talk about them having recruitment to bring in young foreign overseas players into the Premier League well what about your lower league clubs so for I can say we were in a bit of a turmoil and we needed money we're financially stable certainly for, for this season under, under Simon Alley but if we were financially unstable Someone could come to us and go, right, I'll sign Mike Cooper off you for a million pounds. I'll give you a million pounds up front and he's our player on a four or five year contract. And then if he's not good enough, you can have the option to potentially buy him back in two or three years time. I think that could certainly help an avenue that way. Whether that would happen, I'm not too sure. Because I don't think the Premier League clubs are just going to give football clubs money willy-nilly. We know that football is a, is a family and, and you will speak to managers of other clubs. You'll speak to players of other clubs. Players that you have in your squad will be mates with Premier League players as well. And you assume there has to be a conversation going on between everybody, whether it's people within the EFL talking about how concerned they are for each other or it's your players saying to the Premier League players, any chance, lads, or something like that. I mean, it, what's the yeah. general feeling like from what you've uh, from what you've spoken to you know people that you know and also your players yeah well listen I think I, I read a good article on um, I think it was it was um, Chris Wilder he actually turned around and said you know if they were if they were you know they'd happily give some money across if they added to the lower league clubs because Chris Wilder's come from League 2 right the way up to the Premier League and, and being very successful uh, and he's you know I'd like to think if he'd say to his owner look can we give I don't know, let's say a couple of old clubs of his, that, can we give them 500 grand, can we give them a million pounds? It might be paying it back on the never, never, but at least it's a contribution. So, yeah, I, I think so, but ultimately you can't expect these big players who are earning big money just to say, oh, yeah, I'm going to give you a million pounds out of my own pocket. That That's not going to work, it's certainly not. I think what does need to happen is, you know, for, for me, it's, it's the government that needs to... To, um, to put it right and, and eventually get fans into the into the state. Well, thank you so much, Ryan, for, for sharing your thoughts with us on a tricky topic, but also potentially quite a severe one. Um, we hope that your game against Hull City this weekend is as entertaining as that four-all draw with Wimbledon. And we wish you and Argyle all the best for the season to come. 
This news just in, listeners. The Athletic is extending its £1 a month offer for all new subscribers, meaning you can get unrivaled analysis and in-depth features from the very best football writers around, plus a brand new breaking news service and ad-free versions of all of The Athletic's podcasts for just a quid. This deal won't last forever, though, so don't miss out. Sign up today at theathletic.com slash league show. On Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Smart Speaker and now ad-free on The Athletic. This is the Totally Football League Show with Ali Maxwell and George Ellick. We are very lucky on the Totally Football League Show Extra Time to be able to call upon The Athletic's stable of writers of, of the championship clubs. And one of our favourite, one of our absolute favourite is Ryan Conway, who covers Derby County. Ryan, delighted to be joined by you today. Whoa, wait, wait. I'm, I'm ex- we're Extra Time. Am I the sub that you've brought on just to waste time in like the 92nd minute? No, this is, the whole show is extra time. The whole show, this isn't like we just cottoned you on to the end. We're not playing kind of golden goal here. You're in, you're in the main thing. Right, because this, this could see me handing a transfer request real quick <laughs> at the, at the well, end of this show. It's interesting you say that because, I mean, this would be one of the worst segues ever, but if Derby's <laughs> starts to the season continues as it will do, we could see some transfer requests being handed in fairly soon, couldn't we? Because we've seen a 2-0 loss to Reading, a 2-1 loss to Luton and a 4-0 loss to Blackburn. That's what I do. That's why I do what I do. A lot of excitement pre-season, though, Ryan, if we're going to be honest. What has happened? It's been a poor start. They've not been helped by playing without their top three goal scorers this this season. Obviously, Chris Martin went to Bristol City. Tom Lawrence is nursing a, a dislocated shoulder, close to getting back to full fitness. And Martin Wagon has, has had setbacks in in his injury as well. The initial assessment was sort of seven to ten days and it's, and it's taken longer. That hasn't helped. Um, I think that the pre-season preparation has, uh, I think, they underestimated maybe how long it would take to get the players back up to, to match fitness. That that hasn't helped either. There's been sort of big turnover in the squad, you know, six players in so far. I think, what, four? Four have left. So those are all the things that haven't helped. There is also issues of there are things that you can do better. You can pass with more intensity, better zip. Um, movement can be can be better. There is a, a concerning element here that they they can't really defend crosses and set pieces, and that's going to be difficult in the championship. Um, against against Luton, I thought they were the better team in the second half, but, um, but they can't defend crosses. Um, that is uh, that is a, a big concern. The players had um, a meeting on Monday. Um, after the 4-0 defeat against Blackburn, in which Koku said, you know, he didn't see the passion and desire that he wanted from his team, a desire to defend. He said he saw it from the team sometimes. And again, that's sort of concerning because on, on the one hand, it is partly the job of Koku and the coaching staff. And on the other hand, it is the job of the players to to bring, you know, bring the juice themselves. But they had a meeting on, on Monday. My understanding is that that meeting went very, very well. And everyone's feeling pretty good and p- pretty happy and ready to, to put this bad start behind them. It's not great that they have to go to Norwich, but... <laughs> <laughs> not ideal, not ideal. But but not all doom and gloom. And, you know, 
for, for want of, of making these comparisons arbitrarily, Ryan, just not too far away in, in Nottingham, great rivals, Nottingham Forest, there seems to be a lot more hand-wringing, a lot more disdain and a lot more pressure on the manager there uh, with their poor start, also with, with three defeats from their opening three games. Despite Derby's poor start this season, it, it does appear that Koku has the support at the moment of Mel Morris and of those at Derby, that he's not under such intense pressure as Sabri Lamucci. Do you think that's fair to say? Yeah, 100%. My understanding is that Derby aren't panicking at all right now. You know, we're three games into a season. If you tack on the end of last season, yes, it's it's disappointing. But the sort of it feels almost a little unfair to do that because the totality of last season saw them finish 10th and you sort of go, well, right, that's fine um, for a starting point. Yeah, Derby, Derby aren't panicking right now they understand that you know that things have been suboptimal and that doesn't make excuses for being beaten 4-0 at home but you know it's it's three games there are 43 of them left they're pretty confident that that they'll they'll get themselves right when they need to get themselves right a brilliant piece of yours uh, went live on the athletic this week a big interview with philip koku titled inside the mind of philip koku uh, it's a long chat with him that you had over the summer before a ball was kicked uh, about his career, his influences, the managers he's played under and the way that he views the game as well. I mean, it must have been a pretty fun piece to work on. What did you learn about Philippe Koku during that chat? I think I, I learned that he was probably, in, in terms of his playing career, he was always closely linked with um, Louis van Gaal. And I think sort of chatting to him, you can see the influences that he's picked up from Van from Van Hal, from uh, Dick Advocat, who he he was with at PSV, and from uh, Ronald Koeman and Frank Rijkaard as, as as well. You can sort of see the the strands of who influenced him as as you sort of go through his his career. Um, and I think also I understood why it takes so long for Dutch identity to set in because as as he was talking me through some of these clips, you know he was explaining to me about the 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 opening goal in Netherlands 2-1 win over Argentina in the 1998 World Cup and he was saying like that that squad had to be together for four years now obviously internationals are very different because you meet every few months but he was saying that that squad needed to be together for a long long time to be able to play the kind of football that they did on that day um, and you sort of get a, a sense as to why it takes so long for things to, to bed in as to why it takes you know, a, a season, a season and a half to work these inconsistencies out because the, the demand is relentless. He does seem like very, uh, quite, well, quite ideological in what he believes in and in his footballing philosophies in, in a way that, that you do see uh, often with managers from overseas and potentially slightly less so from uh, our homegrown English managers. One thing that, that comes across from your piece, and, and you know we definitely encourage people to go and read this, we're not going to give too much away, but one big theme throughout was Koku clearly being a fan of, of what's called universality, of, of basically complete footballers playing in a fluid system, able to attack and defend as a cohesive unit. I mean, it sounds amazing, doesn't it? Rather than a rigid system with just pure specialists in each position. And, you know, he believes in freedom in the final third. I was interested to, to, to read a suggestion that he doesn't teach or coach a huge amount of sort of final third processes or combinations, Ryan. Was that, was that a surprise for you to hear? He doesn't work, you know, he, he wants players to play with freedom. It was a little bit surprising, but I remember, I remember watching um, 
I think when, when Thierry Henry did Sky Sports one time and he said the same about Guardiola is that, you know, his job was to coach you to get into the final third and then it's on you as attackers to be free and, and play football how you enjoy, you know, your how you enjoy playing playing the game. And and that I got very similar vibes from from that in terms of the the, the ideology and the identity. So yeah, it was it was a, a little bit uh, a little bit surprising. The Una, you know, being able to play in multiple positions he admitted that, that that is from his own background because he played left wing left center midfield holding midfield center back left back attacking midfield he even started as a shadow striker at Vitesse in like the early 90s so he's played all over the pitch um, and he admitted that, that that was you know partly in his background he wants players to to have that um that versatility the the downfall is you know if you're going to attack and defend as a unit the minute one part of that unit doesn't do that job then the entire thing um falls apart and i think that has also played into their um, poor start this season is there possibly a feeling that he's trying to do too much with this derby side i mean i, I know last season it was a similar style of football and by the end of the season things seem to have clicked but is there a chance that they're potentially unsuited or even unsettled by this style or, or is that not really the feeling about the issues at the start of the season um i think it's difficult to make an assessment on that because for pretty much since the days turned up um he said that this isn't the squad that can carry out sort of this tactical um setup um he, because I think what is fair to, and important to say is he basically he doesn't just want sort of centre midfielders um, all over the park and have them just morphing around, just roaming everywhere. You know, he did say that you need specialists in certain positions and the positions that, that he sort of um, highlighted are wingers, um, something which he hasn't really had at all since he's he's turned up. Um, that doesn't excuse some of the shortcomings that they have had, but it's really hard to make a a, a, a final assessment on this style of football without um, proper wing wing play. Um, not you know guys like Tom Lawrence who are inside forwards, proper out and out wingers. Um, he has that now, so he will be judged accordingly. Um, you know, once Jordan Iben and Camille Josviak sort of get get up to speed, so he he has got the the wide players that he has coveted from sort of day one. Um, so, and that's you know where we'll make the assessment in sort of three months' time. A couple of big games coming up. You mentioned the Norwich game. They've got Watford following that. It's not an easy time for for Derby or or for Koku. And I, da- I dare say, not an ideal sort of scenario. Still adding players to the squad while you have such a, a busy fixture list and trying to implement uh, this philosophy, which which as we've mentioned is is quite specific. It's certainly not. Um, colour by numbers tactics that's for sure uh, Ryan thank you so much for, for talking us through this just a, a last question um, what's he like for you personally as a journalist to, to cover because I know you know being a, um, a a team specialist for the athletic is a different type of role to many local media journalists so and I know through following y- y- yourself on Twitter that you ask slightly different sorts of questions to a lot of the local media w- what's it like be, what's it been like, rather, to, to build a relationship with uh, Philip Koku, Derby manager? Yeah, he's he's been a dream to to sort of work with. Um, isn't the right term because sometimes you work against each other if you have a difference <laughs> of a of opinion. But you know, he's 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 been a dream to interact with. Um, I think the, I think the important thing from my standpoint is that you know um, locals that that cover 
the team want you know info on on transfers or contracts or injuries and and stuff like that and i think um it is remiss if we don't talk to um somebody like him about styles and systems and and you know he's big on on sports science and and data if you don't talk to him about these things because you you need to get a sense of what makes that person tick and as to why they do the things that they do and how they do the things that they do um so asking them about transfers and contracts to me is fine if you want that kind of coverage but that that isn't the kind of stuff that turns me on so i just don't ask it um because it it, it doesn't buzz me um and also you get a lot more out of him if you ask him sort of you know quote unquote proper football questions um i think that is so there's you got to know how to play the game, right? You got to know how to play the game, and, and asking him those kind of questions get him to open up a lot more than if you ask him, you know, what's the contract situation with this guy? You know, what transfers are you trying to bring in here? Um, so yeah, that's you identify that sort of area and attack it, um, and you get a lot more out of him. Well, Ryan, always brilliant to speak to you, and. In Philippe Koku, he's certainly one of the most interesting managers both on and off the pitch in the EFL. And we look forward to speaking to you again soon, hopefully with more positive news around Derby County's season. Right? <laughs> Cheers, guys. <laughs> Thank you very much. Cheers, mate. This season, the Premier League is going to be a little different. But at Paddy Power, we're trying to look at the upside. Avoid unnecessary journeys. That's Fulham's trip to Anfield off. Self-isolate. Some midfielders do that very effectively. Avoid European travel. Shouldn't be a problem for Everton fans. When you think about it, not that much has changed, really. New normal, same old football. Just like Paddy Power's Acker Cracker. Get a free bet if one leg of your four-plus fold Acker lets you down on all football matches and all markets. Paddy Power. Max free bet £10. Min odds 1 to 5 on each leg. Online exclusive exclude shop bets. T's and C's apply. 18 plus begambleaware.org. On Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Smart Speaker and now ad-free on The Athletic. This is the Totally Football League Show with Ali Maxwell and George Ellick. Right then, as we look forward to a weekend of EFL action, it's time to pick our best games of the weekend with the help of our sponsors, Paddy Power. And George, I'm pretty sure that I've picked the three best games in the EFL this weekend. I know, I know, based on years of podcasting with you and further years of friendship, that your stubborn nature will mean you think that you have the best games on offer. So... Let's go head to head. What do you think is the best game in the championship this weekend? Well, unless you and I have picked the same games, I can guarantee you you're wrong. And given that we've told each other which games we're picking, that's pretty easy to do. Uh, in the championship, I am going to preview a match between sides who have had a very different start to the season. The home side is Blackburn. The away side is Cardiff. And starting, I guess, with maybe the least interesting of the two at this stage, the away side, Cardiff. Um, they suffered playoff heartbreak, as we know, just a few weeks ago and started the season very, very poorly indeed. They got beaten by Northampton, humiliated, you could say, by Northampton in the Carabao Cup, 3-0 away at Sixfields. And then in their first home game of the season, their first match of the season, they were beaten 2-0 by Sheffield Wednesday. A much improved performance uh, live on the TV at Nottingham Forest. Saw Kiefer Moore score twice in a 2-0 win. 
any thoughts the playoff hangover was done and dusted they'd taken their ibuprofen they'd had a a nice uh, can of coke that was not to be the case because Reading beat them 2-1 last time out so three points from three games for Neil Harris's Cardiff and realistically except for a decent first 15-20 minutes against Forest which put them 2-0 ahead they've been pretty poor in all three games Forest really came into that second half very successfully indeed worrying signs to see Lucas Shaw the Reading striker basically shrug off centre-back Curtis Nelson in the box. Nelson and their defence generally over the last couple of seasons, whether it's under Neil Warnock or Neil Harris, has been such an important part of their play. So coming into this one, it's you know it's, it's way too early to be talking about Harris being in any kind of trouble, but they are certainly a side where if you're making a list of teams in the EFL who need a win, who need to bounce back if they're going to keep up with any pre-season expectations, then this is certainly the case with Cardiff. But Blackburn are the team that I really want to talk about because they have started the season absolutely brilliantly. They opened up with a 3-2 defeat at Bournemouth, but it was a game in which they created plenty of chances. And anyone who watched that wouldn't be too surprised by what's happened since. A 5-0 win at home to Wickham and then a 4-0 win away at Derby. So 9-0 on aggregate in their last two games. We spoke pre-season about how Tony Mowbray basically not made any key additions to the squad from last season, keeping it pretty much the same. We couldn't have been more wrong, but I think we can be forgiven for not noting the arrival of an 18-year-old from Preston on a free transfer in Tyrese Dolan. He hadn't made a single appearance for Preston. Comes into Blackburn. Uh, Tony Mowbray said that he was should have been training with the youth team over the summer, but in pre-season, but due to a lack of first-team players, was recruited up into the the first team and was embarrassing players. He said Joe Rothwell played right back for one of the training sessions or left back and basically couldn't get near Dolan. He's a diminutive winger. He's got very, very quick feet. He's playing with a confidence that you don't often really see from these youngsters coming into the side. He won a penalty against Wickham, got his opening goal there as well, scored again the opener against, uh, against Derby. And Buchanan, Lee Buchanan of Derby, I think we'll have nightmares about Tyrese Dolan for a while. So not only a Blackburn, the informed team in the league over the last couple of games, we're seeing Adam Armstrong, who scored five goals in three games, really, really just enjoying himself playing as the as the poacher, the lone striker. And this is a team flowing with confidence who enjoyed a very good second half of the last season as well. Blackburn are unsurprisingly the favourites at 23 to 20. The draw is 11 to 5. Paddies have Cardiff at 12 to 5. And this is just an exciting one for me because there are always going to be two or three teams every season who could be a lot better than you thought. And the, the signs are, the evidence is that with Armstrong and Dolan flying as they currently are, that team could be Blackburn Rovers. Well, if you're excited, I'm excited, George, but not as excited as I am for the game between Reading and Watford because Reading are one of the sides at the very top of the division with a 100% record. Three wins from three against Derby, Barnsley, Cardiff. It couldn't have gone any better for them. And their new manager, Pauno, who we think had quite a tough time in MLS, but seems to have taken to championship football very nicely. The quality of football appears to be better aesthetically. This is subjective, but I think the fan base are more pleased with what they're seeing than under Mark Bowen, albeit Bowen's results were very impressive. Often the football was less than inspiring for the paying fans. Now the watching on iFollow fans at the current time, um, but they've maintained a, a defensive resoluteness as well. And that's been behind their three wins. One of the big questions last season and looking at some of the quality players in this squad is how do you play John Swift and Ovia Jaria in the same team and get the most out of them? Well, 
easy, apparently. Put two ball-winning midfielders behind them in Rinomota and Josh Laurent and played to their strengths. Uh, Lucas Joao has looked electric, as we know, to start the season. He did pick up a shoulder injury uh, last weekend. I'm led to believe he, he could be risked for this one, but likely won't be because, as we know, shoulders uh, can be tricky. They can get exacerbated pretty, pretty nastily if you hurt them when they're already hurt. Uh, they've got three academy graduates in the side with Omar Richards at left-back, Rinomota in midfield and Michael Olise as well, who you have fallen head over heels in love with uh, as an as a exciting young player. And then there are some, you know, there are some detractors. There are some that say they're relying too much on set pieces, that they got lucky against Barnsley, who had started really well in that game before Barnsley had two men sent off. Um, the, the, the stat nerds amongst us will know that Reading have taken 20 shots this season and scored six, but they faced 30 shots and only conceded one. So they have leaned on the quality of goalkeeper Rafael Cabral at, at times, regardless of how you analyse their first three games. It's a brilliant platform to build on. And I think we're going to find out a lot about them this weekend when they take on Watford. A Watford side who haven't conceded a goal yet in the league. In fact, Ben Foster has barely had a save to make just five shots on target faced in three games, the fewest in the division. Uh, and that's with a back three that has just been added to, bolstered by the signing of Nigeria's starting centre-back and vice-captain uh, Troost Ekong, who I'm really excited about, but has a, a job on his hands to actually break into this back three of Cathcart, Cabaselli and, and Wilmot. What we've seen from Ivic's Watford so far is that they are working very hard for their manager off the ball. They are looking very solid, as discussed. Going forward, they haven't looked too fluent yet. There's been a change of personnel. There's obviously a lot of uh, a lot of transfer rumours about some of their key players. But Ismail Assar started last weekend. And if that's going to continue happening, then surely they're going to be dangerous going forward. They've also got 19-year-old wonder kid, Brazilian, João Pedro, who's shown plenty of quality. And, and yeah, you've been making those sorts of noises at some of his link-up players, especially. They scored the winner against Luton last weekend and looks really exciting. Uh, and in Ngakia and Ken Sema, they have two wing-backs who are getting very high up the pitch, causing plenty of problems. So, look, there's plenty of quality on the pitch for both sides here. Two good starts to the season. Plenty of skill on both sides, but also a lot of uh, sort of grit, uh, a lot of ball-winning midfielders and resolute defenders. So I think it's it's all set up to be a smashing game this weekend between Reading and Watford. In terms of Paddy Power, well, they're still leaning towards Watford. They've not been blinded by Reading's 100% record. And even though Reading are the home side here, they are 23-10 to 10 with Paddy's. Uh, the draw, 21-10. to 10, uh, And Watford, the favourites, at 6-5, to five, just over even money. So there we go in the championship. Championship in League One. George, what do you got for me? Burton against Portsmouth. Burton, nice. the home side, with Paddy's a 21 to 10, the draw 9 to 4. Pompey, favourites, a 6 to 5, as you would expect. But things at Portsmouth are not particularly rosy at the moment. They drew their first two games of the season nil nil, not against particularly strong opposition, it has to be said as well. And they were then beaten 2 1 at Fratton Park by Wigan. Wigan, of course, currently the crisis club in the EFL after everything that's happened in the last couple of months. This has led to massive fan unrest. Kenny Jacket was not particularly popular. Uh, at Portsmouth when the season started. They felt like another failed playoff campaign was not really good enough. There were calls for him to go in the summer. The club have held firm. 
Now it is getting really, really ugly. The fans at Pompey created a Just Giving page this week to try and raise £400,000 to pay off Jacket's contract. Having only raised £400, it was then taken off the website unsurprisingly. But that just goes to show the level of disdain with which Jacket is now treated. And the issue is, is whilst we might be thinking with the whole coronavirus issues with no fans, that it's the smaller clubs who are being negatively impacted. But Mark Catlin who is the CEO of Portsmouth. He's been very vocal in the last couple of weeks and he has said that Portsmouth are currently losing £700,000 a month and the amount to pay off Jacket is basically just way too much for a club who's already making those kind of losses to be paying. So it, it kind of sounds like if they could sack him, they would sack him, but they can't sack him. And that puts Jacket and Portsmouth and the fans in a pretty unenvi- yeah, unenviable position where nobody seemingly wants to really be there anymore. But Jacket, we know at least I think, is a pretty solid pair of hands at this level. I, I expect us to see Portsmouth bounce back at some stage, but anybody, any Pump Pumpy fans who saw the fixture list come out at the beginning of the season would have been pretty excited by the list of teams they have to play. And the fourth one, another side expected to be down the bottom of the table after they've already played um, Shrewsbury, Rochdale and Wigan, three of the relegation favourites to start the season. They now play a Burton side who under new manager Jake Buxton, have been okay. They were beaten 4-2 away at Swindon last time out. They beat Accrington at home to get their first three points of the season and were unlucky in defeat. Well, they put up a battling display in defeat at Fleetwood on opening day. They have conceded um, seven goals in their three games, which suggests that Buxton's defensive robustness may not be echoed by his management style. Um, but they will fancy their chances here against the Pompey side who are struggling to put the ball in the back of the net. They're struggling to get a tune out of their talented squad and also struggling to keep the ball out against Wigan as well. So this could be, you know, we don't like talking about managerial sackings. We don't like talking about managers uh, or calling for managers to go. But in terms of pure intrigue to see Jackets, Portsmouth going to a side who they'll again, as the odds show, be expected to win. But it may not be too easy again and things could get very, very ugly if they don't. OK, so you were right to call Wigan uh, the EFL's crisis club up to this point. But mm. could that be about to change? Really positive news coming out of the club yesterday on Wednesday. The administrator saying that they've agreed a deal to sell the club with a preferred bidder from Spain. Now, this had come slightly out of the blue because there hadn't been a huge amount of traction, or at least in terms of uh, media uh, reporting of a preferred bidder or of someone being close to uh, putting in an acceptable bid. So really positive for the fan base who were a little concerned that essentially the club was just going to be left to the very last moment uh, until a a bid came in. There's obviously not a lot known about the bidders at the moment. They've said they would prefer not to release any further details until a deal has been done. So there has to be a little bit of, uh, of, you know, there's, there's a mixture of relief, I think, but also being mindful of not getting too excited until we learn a little bit more about the owners. It's certainly a case of, of once bitten, twice shy, I think, for, for Wigan fans and many others uh, in the EFL. But, of course, it is positive news for a club that really needs a new owner. Uh, and they play against Doncaster this weekend. A Wigan side who, against all the odds, have cobbled together a team that managed to beat Pompey last week. Um, 
and has not started the season as poorly as I think many people expected. That win last week against Pompey puts them on three points from their three games. And if a bidder can get a deal over the line, then they still have a little bit of time to add to that squad before the end of the transfer window. Their problem this weekend is that they come up against an informed Doncaster side that we've really enjoyed watching over the last few weeks. Darren Moore has put together a, a, an exciting football team here with, with a lot of young talented loan players from the Premier League like Tyrese John Jules from Arsenal who has started the season very well um, but also a, a a brilliant midfield trio of Ben Whiteman who we like a lot of Major Gomez who has scored three goals in three league games from midfield and Taylor Richards on loan from Brighton who looks very well bright so Donny are coming here as the favourites but not hugely favoured by Paddy Power 31 to 20 the away side with Wigan 13 to 8 and the draw 23 to 10 it's hard to really know what to expect from this Wigan side at the moment under John Sheridan they've had a few games where they've really struggled but that was an eye-catching win against Pompey last week so Doncaster will arrive here confident but wary that they're up against a, a side that can hurt them uh, I just I'm keeping a close eye on Doncaster they weren't actually that far off that that sort of top group of teams in League One last season and so far the signs are they look like they've improved so definitely one of the sides to keep an eye on that weren't as fancied at the start of the season a bit like Blackburn who you mentioned earlier uh, which leaves us League Two George what is the most mouth-watering game in League Two this weekend? Well, I'm hoping that when we spoke to Simon Weaver a few weeks ago, we managed to pick up some Harrogate fans. And for any Harrogate fans listening, drink this in for a second, because you are hosting Bolton and you are heavy favourites to beat Bolton on Saturday. What a world. What a rise up the leagues. Just a few years ago, think of the gap between these two clubs, but no longer. Harrogate, the 13 to 10 favourites to beat Bolton, who are 2 to 1, the draw 23 to 10. All those odds from our sponsors. Paddy Power. And you have to say, it's it's not a massive surprise that that is the case. Harrogate have been, have shown they're another side to come up from the National League into League Two and take to it very quickly. It really feels like there isn't a massive gap between the top teams in the National League and the bottom teams. If anything, I'd say the top end of the National League looks stronger to me now than the bottom of League Two because continuous, continually these teams coming up, so long as they have some kind of stability, manage to maintain that level of performance. So we're seeing certain players, Aaron Martin, Jack Muldoon, two, the two strikers for Harrogate, look so composed, so adept at this level, really giving defenders no time whatsoever they went away to Port Vale a side who had started the season so well last time out and drew that game nil-nil and were good value for that draw they hosted a Warsaw side that we expect to be up at the top as well and got a point there and absolutely thumped Southend 4-0 on opening day it could have been plenty plenty more no chance Southend were going to get anything out of that one so five points from three games performances that show that they are ready for this level it's a crying shame that this game will be taking place at the Keepmote Stadium at Doncaster rather than Harrogate's home ground as they still are doing the necessary repairs to their pitch and their stadium to play EFL football. But Bolton, the case here is very different. The the pre-season favourites for the title, all the fanfare surrounding Ian Everett and his style of football coming in from, from Barrow, all the fanfare surrounding the signings of players such as Owen Doyle and Anthony Sarsovic, a whole new team, a whole new optimism for a club who have been struggling for, for so long. And you know, you thought the optimism was well-founded for Bolton fans. 
you have to caveat this by saying it's a work in progress, but they've lost all five games, all five competitive games that they've played this season. One in the Carabao Cup, one in the EFL Trophy and three in League Two. And it has been fairly desperate stuff. They're, they're yet to score in the league, losing 1-0 away at home to Forest Green, 2-0 away at Colchester, 2-0 at home to Newport. What I would say is that Forest Green, Colchester and Newport are three of the teams who have stood out so far this season to be amongst the strongest in the league. It doesn't get any easier for Bolton now coming to a Harrogate side who also look to be fairly decent. But Ian Everett will be absolutely desperate, desperate to get a result here. I said how Cardiff were one of the teams in the EFL who need a result. I said that Pompey were one of the teams who need a result. Top of that pile has to be Bolton because for the, for the club to move forward, for Ian Everett to not lose that, that sense of excitement around his appointment as well, they need to get some points on the board. They need to get Owen Doyle scoring. Been, there was some concern in the summer about the level of spending of Bolton given their recent issues and I think that to justify that spending, to justify getting the likes of Doyle in, things have to change. So I'm going to be watching this one very, very closely. Certainly the fairy tale story would be for Harrogate to get one over on Bolton, surely the biggest league scalp of their uh, time as a football club. But for Bolton, this is it's early to say it. it's only the fourth league game of the season, but it's starting to feel a bit like a must win before the wheels really start to fall off. OK, well, I'm taking a slightly different approach in League Two. I'm going to talk about the game between Carlisle and Barrow. Now, Carlisle are the home side, 13 to 10 favourites for this game. The draw, 21 to 10 and Barrow at nine to four. Now, I just basically want to flag something up here, George. Um, when this game is talked about in the media this weekend, if you hear the words Cumbrian Derby, I want you to know the context behind this. Some people are saying this is the first ever Cumbrian Derby in the EFL, and it's a nice line. And if you don't do any digging, you'd think, well, that's lovely. You know, good on the Cumbrians. Great for them to have their first EFL Derby. But this is actually a topic that raises some pretty strong feelings in this part of the world because Carlisle last played Barrow in 1964. At that time, Barrow was in Lancashire, or Barrow in Furness, to give it its full name, was a Lancastrian town. And Cumbria only came into existence in 1974, at which point everyone from Barrow who thought that they were Lancastrian were now being told that they were Cumbrian. And as you can imagine, that didn't go down very well with a lot of people and plenty of people still well, wow what is it 35 40 years on still prefer to recognize the old borders still feel much more strongly Lancastrian than they do Cumbrian so you just have to be a little bit careful here technically it is the first Cumbrian derby in the EFL, but certainly not in the hearts, I think, of many of the fans of both sides. And I think it would be wrong to suggest that that these two sides have some sort of long-standing local rivalry or hatred for each other. Um, from a football perspective, I think both sides very, very keen on winning this game because Carlisle have lost two of their first three games. They beat... South End in what is week to week increasingly looking like a bit of a, a, a gimme. In fact, Carlisle's most exciting player and new to the EFL is called Gimme. Well, spelt Gimme, G-I-M-E, but it's Jimmy Toure, uh, a brilliantly exciting winger, um, very good on the ball. He's got a, a bag of tricks and flicks that he whips out. Uh, and he kind of sums up this Carlisle side so far. They've got a lot of attacking intent. They've taken a lot of shots so far, but they haven't quite 
sorted themselves out defensively and potentially without the ball, they are quite vulnerable. So they're up against this Barrow side who are back in the EFL after a long absence, after being voted out, of course, before relegation was a thing. Uh, and they've drawn three games out of three and they've kind of had different parts of, of, of the game. They've had draws where they've kind of nicked it. They've had draws where they've been the better side uh, and they've had very even games so far. So a good start to their time back in the EFL, but they certainly want a win to kickstart their season. Scott Quigley, who scored 20 league goals for them in promotion from the National League last season, he was suspended for the first two games of the season. He's now back in the side and I'm hoping that we see him make the step up to League Two fairly seamlessly uh, and start notching plenty of goals for, for, for Barrow. So whether or not this is a Cumbrian derby, both sides will definitely want a win to kickstart their season. Keep a close eye on this one, guys. Really exciting game in League Two. Okay, I think we've said all that we need to say about the weekend football. Six games in total that we've picked out from across the three divisions that we think are the most exciting fixtures this weekend for a variety of reasons. Uh, we've been Ali Maxwell and George Ellick. This has been the Totally Football League show, Extra Time. Make sure you're subscribed on this podcast feed for all of the action reviewed on Monday with the Totally Football League show team. Uh, we hope that you'll join us again next week and we look forward to that podcast. Thanks for joining us and have a good weekend. You've been listening to the Totally Football League Show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. Keep up to date with everything Totally at thetotallyfootballshow.com and following at The Totally Show on Twitter and Insta. Check out all the Athletics football podcasts on Apple, Spotify and all the usual places or listen ad-free on the Athletic app. The Totally Football League Show is a Muddy Knees Media production and sponsored by Paddy Power. Muddy Knees Media.